Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Tie That Binds podcast with me, your host, Ty. This time around in the studio, we have radio veteran Buzz Collins. Now you may know Buzz, depending on where you're from in the country, depending you're on the West Coast or here in Ontario, his 35-year radio career has taken him all over the place. He's also a magician, a mentalist, a hypnotist, and an activist. While here, we talk about him meeting U2 and Aerosmith, we talk about his radio career, his debut on the Vegas Strip at Planet Hollywood, we talk about drugs, we talk about his son Garrett and Bill 99 with the Garrett Legacy Act, and he gives us a full disclosure on one of his opinions. So join me please if you will for a great conversation with the great and hilarious and very well spoken Buzz Collins. <clears throat> yeah. How do you yeah. pronounce your last name, by the way? Zaplatel. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's Czech. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, okay. so yeah, my dad was born <clears throat> um, in the late 50s. I, yeah, yeah, he just turned 65. So he was born in 57, immigrated here in 85. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's Czech. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, that's that. So I like to be kind of impromptu, so I already hit record. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate you coming out, Buzz. Uh, it's really, really cool to meet you. I'm a big fan, actually. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, and thank you. It just surprises me uh, when I hear people tell me that they're a big fan because uh, uh, I don't know. I, 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 it's not. It's not that I feel like I suck, but I. I don't think there. You know, I've been doing this for thirty-five years. I don't think I've ever had a show, a radio show, where I've come off the air and thought, "Damn, that was good." Really, eh? Really. Now, uh, why is that? Um, nobody's a tougher critic on me than myself. Oh, well, I. I could vote for that for uh, sure. And I. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I always look back on just about everything. Not just in my professional life, but you know, just you know, I could have done that better. I could have done that differently. I could have done this or that, and and uh, and often, you know, when it comes to the the show itself, the morning show, uh, I'm I'm always honored. I never take it lightly uh, uh, to have an audience. Um, it's very humbling. I find it humbling that pe- people. Not once, but more than once. Well, let's put it this way. They've heard the show, and they want to hear hear it again. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I get it. I, so, <clears throat> you know, I, despite whatever accomplishments I've had, I, um, I never feel like I've kind of hit the home run that I've, uh, I've always wanted, you know? And uh, so I, it's not that I think, I have nothing to offer. I do. I'm just, you know, there's there's other options for people out there, especially in this day and age with, you know, when it comes to music, there's the the, the online streaming services. <clears throat> there's um, satellite. There's there's all sorts of different uh, ways to be entertained in the morning or any other, other given time. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of surprised to learn that I have people that are diehard listeners and, and fans of the show, and I'm gr- incredibly grateful for it. Well, like we said here before we came down here, um, I'm a fan of morning radio. Um, I think it's important, actually. Um, if nothing else, 
I find it a great way to get the day going, mm-hmm. and it is important, I think. And and it seems like you're quite humble by by your position as a morning show host. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I. Th- <laughs> it's, it sounds egotistical to say yes, I am humble. No, not at all. Uh, but uh, but you know, at the same time, in this business, you need to. It, it's quite a. Um, uh, there's a word for it. Uh, contrast, I guess. Because I am by nature, I think by nature, I'm I'm a pretty humble guy. But at the same time, if you if you want to get anywhere in this business, you have to have a healthy ego as well. But I think it keeps the drive. It keeps the drive. It gives it gives you the confidence to to do what you do, and uh, it gives you a competitiveness. It uh, uh, it feeds your creativity. But I think the trick is keeping it in check and. Uh, you know, over the years, I've worked with some guys who are, are great at uh, knowing when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And I've worked with, with people that, you know, don't turn it off, so to speak, and, and they're not fun people to be around. So, Are you referring maybe to, like, the personality that they have a persona of on the radio or, or whatever show I mean, they're, they're hosting? I mean more uh, when, the, when the mic's off and the show's done, excuse me, <clears throat> that... The, you know, and I don't want to be overly critical. I'm just being matter of fact. I, I you know, there are people in this business, uh, and I think the entertainment business kind of not only breeds it but attracts that type um, who are, are just to dumb it down are kind of full of themselves. And I've come to the point. I think at one point maybe I might have been that guy. Maybe back in the '90s for a while because especially at that time at the place I was working at and, and we were hugely successful. It's, it's tough not to let some of that go to your head. Um, but I think over the years and from life experience, I've learned that, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a job that I'm very fortunate to have been able to, uh, keep doing and still keep doing. And, um, it, it, my success on air or off the air in whatever that I'm doing does not mean that I'm a better person, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, I'm more concerned about that than I am about ratings, than I am about the size of my audience or how funny the next bit is. I, I, I really, uh, I, I really want to be an authentic person, uh, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm, you know, serving burgers at, at uh, you know, a diner or whether I'm doing a morning show. I just, I want to be real. And I, I do my best to bring that to the morning show. Maybe that's part of the, the, uh, the appeal that our show has. I think so, yeah. Um, and it's tough sometimes because, um, as lo- you know, for as many years as I've been doing this, which is over 35 years now, you know, you're very conscious of this, this microphone in front of your face. And you have to be because for practical purposes, you, you need to be on mic and whatnot. So it's a little challenging at times when you're looking for that laugh, when you're looking for that punchline uh, and you're working with a co-host and you're going kind of off on a tangent and, uh, you know, you want to be entertaining. But like I said, at the same time, I want to be authentic because I think as soon as you become uh non-authentic your listeners i think listeners are pretty clever and and they pick up on phoniness and for me as a listener that's what turns me off is as soon as i when i hear somebody who's performing rather than just um sharing 
for lack of a better word. It, it, it I don't know. It, it loses its appeal to me. Well, you don't want to have to put on a facade because then you have to maintain that full mm-hmm. time, right? It's just way, yep. way easier just to be you. To be yourself. Just yeah, yeah. be Buzz at all times. And, yep. then, and then you don't have to put anything on. You're but, just, you're going to wake up, go to the studio, do your show, be you. And, and I, always I, be you. I think, and you're right. And I think that's where some people find, you know, they get into some trouble is they, they find this persona that we're, and I get it. I've done it. You find this persona that works for you on air. And, and listen, uh, you've listened to the show. You've met me in person. Um, I'm somewhat more animated on the air, but it's still me. That would be the me. If you got to get, if I was to get together with some friends on a Saturday night and you were to kind of be a fly on a wall, I'm, I'm kind of that guy. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not on like that 24 seven. And I think there's some people who don't know how to turn it off sometimes. And that gets here getting back to what I was talking about. That can be irritating. And, and I've worked with people like that. And, and, uh, some of them are still good friends. Um, and maybe some of them have, have, you know, kind of had a, a moment to, to check themselves and I, I don't know, but, um, I just, all I'm saying is I, I'd rather have people like me for being real rather than being, uh, disingenuous. D- yeah. D- disingenuous, funny guy or whatever. I, I, yeah. I get it. Um, what makes a good morning show? Because I'm a fan of morning time radio. Uh, I like uh, I like your show. Um, uh, I was a big fan of your coworker uh, Alana when she was yep. in when she was at the Wolf and Peterborough. Yep. She had a Good Morning Show with Jay. I can't remember Jay's last name. Um, they had a Good Morning Show. Yep. Like I said, uh, Craig Venn and Mike Luck at a ninety four nine in Oshawa. I listened to yep. them. Uh, what makes a good ra- ra- What makes a good morning show? Because I, th- I, I I love morning radio. I think uh, there's a number of things, and in no particular order, I would say relevance. Um, you know, I have, when I'm prepping a show each morning, I kind of have this little, what I call the WGAS filter as I'm going over, uh, I have some prep services that provide content, possible content. And each morning as I'm going through these services and looking at the, the, the content, I'm asking myself, who gives a shit, who gives a shit, who gives a shit, um, because it really boils down to the listener, really. Exactly. If I don't like what you're saying, yeah. I'll just go to another station because there's all kinds of them. And that's a, that's exactly it. So I I try to put myself in the shoes of the listener when I'm prepping my show. Would I find this interesting? So everything you hear on my show, to be honest, right or wrong, is is on there because I thought it would entertain me if I was listening to it. And, you know... Um, Unfortunately, I'm not a big sports guy. I used to try to fake that in the earlier years. And uh, I came to the conclusion that, you know, and, and this is part, probably part of my path towards, you know, being as authentic as possible is like, I just got to let my listeners know I don't follow sports. There's nothing wrong with that. No. There's and, nothing wrong with not being a sports fan. Yeah. And there is, you know, I've told my kids, there is a freedom in being honest with people, you don't have to. I remember in high school, I went to a very sports-oriented kind of high, small town high school in Saskatchewan, and and uh, as my friends were talking about the, the the hockey game last night or whatever, blah blah blah, I I I try to fake that I was you know just as interested or even knew what was going on, and and, and uh, the fact of the matter was I I could care less, and it was years later, many years later. Um, my younger brother, who played semi-professional sports, 
very athletic, to this day is still a very athletic person. He follows no sports whatsoever, doesn't watch any. And I thought, well, that's refreshing. And I thought, why do I feel like I've got to have this pressure on me to, to, to you know, is it, is it peer pressure? Whatever it is. And so I thought when I, when I began working at, at Quinny Broadcasting, I thought, I'm just going to be honest with my listeners. And fortunately, I have a co-host who is a huge sports buff. So leave it up to him. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we do. And we make fun of the fact, you know, I even play it up. Like, you know, if I'm referring to uh, a, a game that was played recently, I'll say, you know, w- one of those sports games happened the other day. You know, like I, I, I'll even accentuate my disinterest. That's not to say I'm not like, a, you know, many others who are bandwagon jumpers. And I get excited if, you know, the, the, play, you know, the, the Jays make it into the playoffs or the Leafs are in the playoffs. I can get excited for genuinely excited for that. But but at the end of the day, I'm, I, I don't lose a wink of sleep over who wins or loses. It's funny you say that. I was listening to uh, one day this past week and you made something about Aaron Rodgers and you, and mm. you, and you alluded to that quite quickly. Uh, quite quickly, uh, even if, if I was a brand new listener, if that was the very first time I ever heard your voice, you made it very clear that you are aware of the individual, but you really had no interest in the yeah. story. But but it was big news. I think yeah. maybe it was Tuesday or Wednesday morning. I found, I personally, I found, knowing what I know about Aaron Rodgers and knowing that he just got signed to the Jets, I, fa- I did find that story interesting just because I, I, I put myself in the in the shoes of the, 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 you know, the management of the Jets who just paid oodles of dollars to have this, you know, uh, top line quarterback come to play and first game and he's out for the season. He's out for the, the rest of the year. Um, I found that interesting. It, which is news. I mean, yeah. it's newsworthy and it's current and, you know, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're trying to have a current up to date show. That's 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 yeah. what's happening. Yeah. But uh, it's it's the it's so yeah it's those types of st- the human interest stories that captivate me more than you know stats and he's played this many games and they've won this team's won that and whatever I I for what and it's funny because I grew up in a house where um, my dad was a huge sports buff uh, I don't know if I've ever met a bigger sports buff than my dad and yet none of that rubbed off on on me or my brother my like I said my brother. He was he was you know kind of a built for for sports, um, and he enjoyed playing. He played uh, football and he played volleyball and he was and he played high school basketball. Uh, six foot four, um, built like a. Uh, I mean, he, to this day he's fifty five years old and he's still lean and mean and and uh, works out regularly and whatnot. But neither of us have had any interest in watching sports. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts of uh, the uh, the way radio is moving along with so much co- competition, right? We've got um, streaming services. Uh, I mean, they yep. come preloaded on your phone. There's podcasts. Uh, YouTube has this amazing algorithm that always seems to know what song you want to listen yeah, to. Same with Spotify. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how. I I don't know. We discussed earlier. We're not real tech savvy. I don't understand the nuts and bolts of it, yeah. but. They always seem to know the song to play next. Yeah. Um, what like what's your take on all that? Um, I you know it's interesting because radio statistics, true statistics have shown radio still has an audience out there, and I think that's because and here's the thing. Um, and it's funny because it was hammered through our heads, and when I say our, I mean every every jock that's been on the air for however many years. It's been hammered through our heads. For years, the most important thing about your show is being local, local, local. Program directors galore. Local, local, local. Suddenly, 
And I still think that's important. I th- and I think that's what attracts uh, uh, listeners to local radio is y- you're not going to get that out of anything else. You, you won't get that from YouTube or Spotify or, or Apple or whatever. But here's, here's the hypocrisy. Um, and I'm not the first one to speak out about this. But you have now, thanks to technology, what, what will kill radio quicker than alternative competition like satellite radio and streaming services and whatnot? In my opinion, what's going to kill radio faster is the fact, and this is happening mostly with corporate entities, but the simulcasting and, uh, and voice tracking, mostly the simulcasting. You have, for example, uh, K-Rock in, in um, Kingston. I mean, that, that station, when I first moved to Kingston uh, almost, well, yeah, 18 years ago, they ruled the roost. They still brand themselves as Kingston's rock station. I would argue that. Uh, I mean, they're, they're a rock station in Kingston, but they used to live, breathe, and bleed Kingston. And their, their, their on-air personalities were always seen at all the different events going on. If it was an event that mattered, even if it was an event that barely mattered, K-Rock was there, and I applauded them for that. I never worked for them, but I applauded them for that. They were awesome at that. Now, K-Rock's morning show is a morning show out of Winnipeg. So they have a, a contest on right now that uh, I can't remember what the prize is, but, you know, the, 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 the promos that run make it sound like, oh, you have an honest shot at this. Well, this morning show is simulcast to I don't know how many different markets within Rogers Communications. And there's no way that they can be local, you, you know, uniquely local to, to any of their markets. And so, and, and that's just one example. There, there's so many more. Their evening show is also uh, uh, um, uh, a simulcasted show. It's, it's in the can, so to speak. It's pre-recorded ahead of time. It's not even live. And uh, there's nothing, no references about anything local they can't it, it can't when it's done that way and that's what's going to that that has radio has a risk of dying quicker because of that than be, than because of any other uh alternative uh means for um you know enter, entertainment and information so you'd have to think if it was recorded out west i think you said winnipeg then yep. and it's being broadcast in kingston like yep. how many other markets is it in you know there's several it, there's several um right so i mean maybe not 100 but maybe a dozen yeah. if it's in kingston it's in oh, yeah. winnipeg yeah. it's probably somewhere in british columbia i would i would say somewhere between half a dozen to a dozen different markets i don't know it might be upwards to a dozen and it's and it's you know these 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 corporations are constantly trying to streamline and restructure because at the end of the day, I'm going to go on a rant here. <laughs> oh, please do. Please do. At the end of the day, their concern is not so much uh, a quality radio for their, their listening audience, but what kind of return on the dollar they can show every quarter for the investor. And something's got to be sacrificed that way. And unfortunately, it's the quality of, of local radio and, and not only the quality, but you know, the talent they have over the last several years, uh, uh, incredibly creative and experienced talent with many years under, under their belt has been shown the door so that they can bring in newbies who are fresh out of broadcasting college with 
very little to no experience and you can hear it. And, and, you know, I don't want to knock the people coming out of broadcast. I was one of those people at one time coming out of broadcasting college. But at that time, you started out in, I started out in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. You know, a small market. And you, you worked your way up and, and um, hopefully proved yourself, improved your abilities and worked yourself up into larger markets. And now it's, it's completely the opposite. I remember, you know, when I was first applying for radio jobs, it was like, oh, they want five years experience. They want two years experience minimum. They want four. How am I supposed to? Now it's, it seems to be the opposite. It seems <laughs> the, the less, less experience you have, the less we have to pay you. Welcome aboard. Um, well, so it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, when you get into the, I mean, I think that goes to any industry. Uh, what I do for a living, uh, anything, you know, they can mold you to what it is that they're looking for, right? You've come in. You've got your habits. You're probably not going to change. If if you went to another radio station, you're not going to stop what you're doing. Mm. But they want somebody green so they can say, no, we don't want this. We don't want that. Uh, just, just fit and conform. You, you know, I think I would say, at least in my line of work, it's it's more about because honestly, uh, experienced professionals do fit and conform and, and alter uh, even their their. Um, their personality to it to like I've worked adult contemporary obviously I'm not going to you know uh, share the kind of humor we do on the morning show I do right now at a classic rock station and some of the sort of uh, uh, I don't want to say we're disrespectful but you know we can we can get a little low brow at times if you've ever listened for any length of time you know obviously that's not the Buzz Collins you would hear in the days I worked at you know an adult contemporary station or an oldie station or whatever um it's it's at the end of the day it's the almighty dollar you don't you haven't worked that long we don't have to pay you that much you're just out of broadcasting college how badly do you want to work and i and and i you know i'm not concerned uh, about burning bridges i have no desire to work in corporate radio again it's it, radio is not what it once was which is why i kind of get a kick out of where i work now because quinny broadcasting um it's 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 like when I walked in that building, when I, when I walked onto the fourth floor there where the, where the, the, the stations are located, it was, it was like, this is, I haven't seen radio stations operating like this in like over 15 years. They actually have a fully staffed newsroom with a news director. They actually have a sports director. Nobody's got a sports director anymore. Um, you know, uh, th I will say, thanks to uh, uh, Voice the technology of voice tracking. This is something that came along right around uh, 98, 99. I worked at a station that was a guinea pig for the first voice tracking um, uh, software. It was developed actually in Winnipeg, and now it's used all over the world. So once upon a time, if you wanted somebody to fill in for a shift, but they couldn't be there or do a shift uh, that they regularly do and nobody could fill in, the 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 you know the backup and nobody ever wanted to have to do this but you would record your show on a reel to reel and you'd bring in an operator who would then run that reel to reel where the breaks should go so there still had to be a warm body in the studio 24/7 somebody had to be there to hit the commercials hit the songs and if need be hit this reel to reel of whoever couldn't be there but 99.9% .9 of the time you had a live body in the studio now that's not necessary. You have uh, a variety of voice tracking software, which allows you to, like I said, I pre-record my breaks from 10 a.m. till noon. Uh, that takes me all of about 
five to ten minutes to do two hours worth. Um, I'm live. I am live from six till ten. But uh, you know, there there are people doing entire sh- six hour shows uh, everywhere that are you know voice tracked. That's why you'll hear somebody who does a morning show or a midday show. Monday to Friday, and yet they're also doing a couple of weekend shifts. Or 2 o'clock in the morning. Or at 2 o'clock in the morning. Some might think, wow, they're really dedicated to their job. No. Maybe, maybe sleeps there. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, but, um, so, you know, that you can't get away from. It's just a sign of the times. It's the way radio has changed. I do miss the, ra- the bat, you know, when I got into radio. Uh, one of my first shifts was the all-night shift. What a great shift to learn and, and to make mistakes and to try stuff out. The all-night shift. You, you know, there is no all-night shift anymore. So before uh, before I forget, I just had a brainwave. You you mentioned the simulcast. Um, even this morning, my wife and youngest daughter and I went to the farmer's market, and there's Ryan Seacrest on the radio mm-hmm. doing his show. Yeah. Uh, which And then you mentioned that, and I got thinking, you know, like someone like Howard Stern, mm-hmm. you know, like that was simulcast all over the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so while I'm thinking of Howard Stern, um, what's your thoughts on like that style of shock radio? Like Dean Blundell had a very similar yeah. show. Uh, Howard Stern, I mean, is the king of shock radio. Yeah, you know, I, a few other guys out there. I think Howard Stern is at the top of his game now, um, and he was. You really think so, eh? I do. I, I as good now as he's ever been. He's such a, a great interviewer. I don't. I've never. Um, I mean, once the novelty of the shock radio wore off it you know that gets old to me anyway it gets old um he was to, to howard stern's credit he was the first one he was the original shock jock and he set a trend which worked for some and horribly did not work for others and uh he's howard is kind of a natural at it now what makes howard such a great interviewer is some of his questions, I don't think Howard strives to shock anymore, but I think he has a he has a real gift for getting his guests to answer those questions that we all really want we would love to ask as well. Like I remember I remember listening to I have no interest in Graham Nash from Crosby Stills and Nash. None at all. But I remember I was driving a rental. I had a gig uh, from my live, the, from my stage show that I do. I had a gig um, somewhere in uh, three hours northwest of Winnipeg, and I had a rental. And I was driving back to Winnipeg, and I'm listening to the Howard Stern interview. He's he's uh, it's in the can. It's pre-recorded, obviously, but he's interviewing Graham Nash, and there was nothing else really that I, I could find worthwhile. To, but I was captivated because. Howard made it captivating. And he's, at, you know, instead of asking about, you know, music, so to speak, and what was it like playing at the da-da-da-da-da, he taught, you know, he, for example, he asked about Graham Nash's relationship. He had a relationship with uh, Joni Mitchell. And it's the way, you know, he, you know, so what was it like? I mean, you and Joni Mitchell, you know, what was, what was sex like with Joni? You know, it's like, good God, who would... <laughs> Who would ask those questions? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's one of those taboo things. Yeah. You, 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 you would just never ask that yeah, of anybody, exactly. let, let alone, you know, a celebrity. But Howard has this way of making his guest feel like it's just the two of them having a conversation. And I think it disarms them. I don't, I don't think he abuses it too much because people coming on the Howard Stern show know that kind of anything goes with Howard Stern. 
So in that way, I, I really like Howard Stern now. I, you know, yes, it was fun to listen. I remember listening to him back in the 90s and, and uh, we, you know, the strippers coming into the studio and the, the crazy stuff. But that, that to me got old after a while. Um, and poor and poor Robin Quivers just out there the whole time and seen she, it all. She was she she kind of she's the unsung hero of that well, show. I think. Well, here's the genius of Howard Stern. Howard knew that he needed somebody to be kind of a, a voice of reason a little bit in the room. And it certainly wouldn't have been Bubba the Love Sponge. No, no. So, <laughs> so she she was kind of the the counterweight, if you will, that he knew he needed. I, I'm, I'm guessing, but that he knew he needed to make what he does work. And, um, and it has worked. Um, get, you know, you asked about Dean Blundell. Um, I have only listened to small, small bits of Dean Blundell. Um, and I, I, you know, that's kind of close to home because I've met him and whatnot. So I, I don't want to be overly critical and I don't know him well enough. But uh, it, it's, again, to me, that kind of radio can, can, can get old. I'm not saying Dean Blundell made it sound old, but I think um, there was, sometimes he missed those moments where he needed to pull back, where there were certain lines, well, as we, I mean, that's the, the, the obvious, the, you know, there were certain lines he crossed, that I don't think he should have. And um, I, don't, I don't know him well enough. And like I said, I've met him a few times. I don't know him personally. Um, but I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say, he, you know, I think he's great when it comes to the sports. He's, he's doing that now. Uh, I, think he, I think he suits that much better as, a, as, you know, hosting a sports show rather than um, pissing people off constantly i remember the day he got kicked off the radio yeah. I, I was driving to school i went to durham college in uh, the oshawa whippy area and i remember listening driving down the 115 i remember listening to what he said we're not i'm not going to repeat yeah. it i don't even maybe remember it word for word but i it was you know i believe it was homophobic i believe yeah and uh, i yeah. remember and i thought i was driving with a schoolmate and i thought god you just can't say that yeah. And then, sure as shit, it was like the next day they they hauled him off, and and that was that. And I and I'm I'm kind of torn because there's part of me this you know, um, uh, me personally, I like to I you know I I you know every jock worth his weight should be providing content if they can that has their listeners talking about it later with somebody else. That would be great. I don't know if I do that. I hope I do at moments. I don't want to be the guy, though, who sacrifices his personal ethics to do that. I don't want to fan the flames of hate. At the same time, I'm, I don't believe in censoring, neither. Um, yeah, me either, to be honest with yeah. you. That's part, of the reason why, uh, that's part of the reason why I do this. Not that I'm controversial, but yeah. if you want to use a, a foul language, I want you to be able yeah. to do that. And if you yeah. have a, a risky opinion on something... Uh, you should, unless it's, you know, outlandish, yeah. you know, you should be able to say that and you yeah. should be able to be comfortable, but then be able to hear me say, you know, Buzz, I'm not really so sure I believe, I agree with you. And that's fine as well. Yeah. You know, here's a great example. Um, I don't know if you, if you watch a lot of live stand up comedy. Yeah. I'm actually a huge stand up. Oh, okay. Fan. So my favorite comic, probably my favorite is Brian Regan and he works clean, but oh my God. 
I've never laughed more constantly at, at a, at a stand-up comic than Brian Regan. And I remember, um, uh, so my point being is, you know, you, if you, ha- and this is what Jerry Seinfeld once said in an interview, he says, I don't have a problem with, with coarse language being used in stand-up comedy, but if you have to use that to get the laugh, you haven't done your homework. And in the same way, if you have to constantly go to the toilet or push somebody's buttons um, to, to, to make your, your show entertaining, maybe you haven't done your work enough. Maybe you're, maybe you're not really a funny, maybe you're not entertaining if you have to constantly rely on finding somebody to kind of set up as a victim each morning. Some people deserve to be a victim. Oh yeah, there's no, no question of that. <laughs> but, but, uh, I, you know, I think that there's, there's the ability to, you know, I, I know, you know, once in a while we get, not that often, once in a blue moon, we get a strongly worded email or we get a phone call and, and uh, you know, there's always somebody who wants to be pissed off about something and I can't do anything about that. But at the end of the day, um, I, I try to stay true to my own personal ethics. And if I have to, um, you know, mock somebody bring somebody down, push somebody's buttons to provide an, an, an entertaining show. I'm going to lose my authenticity, as I alluded to previously, you know. So you've already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I guess it's safe to say you didn't dabble in shock radio at any point in time. It, it seems that you didn't. Um, or didn't feel the need to. I, I didn't feel... I, I, I wouldn't say I ever... No, I never did shock radio. I didn't have any desire to do it. I... I uh, um. I'm not, I've never had a problem, you know, my program directors have been pretty good. Most of them have had my back when I've had listeners complain about this or that. And I haven't been a target for, for uh, listeners who have, have concerns that often, once in a while. But my, my, my management has always pretty much had my back. I'm more concerned about, I'd rather get a laugh from something that was funny, I said, rather than something that was shocking. I'd rather get a laugh than somebody going, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. I'd rather, yeah, I'd, you know, all my life, way before, even when I was a kid, it was about getting a laugh or, you know, um, a smile even. I, I was a, a and I, th- I think this came about, you know, you've heard this before and I think there's a lot of truth to it, but you know, when I was a kid, I was small. I was skinny and short and uh, not athletic, and, and I was an easy target. And I don't think it was a, a something I did consciously. I think it was something that I began to do unconsciously as a, a form of uh, self-preservation. But I developed a sense of humor. I, start, if I, I think I realized if I could make people laugh, it disarmed them, and, and n- nobody really seem to you know nobody really bullies somebody that's entertaining them or making them making them truly laugh and and so you know yeah I I ended up because of that spending (laughs) I was more of an irritant to teachers and I spent a lot of time in the hallway and whatnot (laughs) but I but I wasn't uh, and I got lots of laughs and and uh, um, uh, I, I think that's how I evolved into what it is that I do today so I mean, yeah, I mean, I I I get it. I totally get it. 
Yeah. Um, I got a lot of respect for what you just said, though, that you don't believe in censorship. It seems like that's kind of maybe not a hot button thing right now, but it does seem to be it does seem to be out there right now. And it seems to be happening a lot. I don't know. What do you do about that? It's it's uh, you know, it's it's and it's um it's a tightrope. Um, because we have to do it within reason, right? right. You're not going to sit here and deny the Holocaust, but, right? But I mean, if you if you feel the need to use colorful language, yeah, yeah, or, no, yeah, or I, anything like that, you should be able to do that or have your own opinions. I and I understand that uh, you know I, I I respect the most of the uh, regulations in place by the CRTC and and um, when I say I don't believe in censorship, I I understand that. Listen, you know cursing on the radio there could be small children in the car and, and whatnot um i you know i've had uh, kids myself i'm cognizant of of uh you know other ears that maybe you're not intending to um uh, perform for but but the the censorship you know the canceling that uh, of people's careers and uh, because of this or that because someone's offended um you know that the that that unfortunately i don't know i i hope i've had this conversation with others many times and i i really hope the pendulum swings the other way at some point because sooner rather than later hopefully yeah yeah because uh uh you know truth be known if the majority of us had had some sort of a, a livelihood that had a spotlight on us I'm sure there's a moment in our lives that would be probably cancelable, if that's a word, you know, in, in the in the in the light of of today's politics. Um, to dumb it down, it's just you know, society needs to lighten up a little bit. Um, you know, uh, I I used to perform up until recently. I used to perform uh, a hypnosis show. I still perform uh, a mind reading show, or as it's known as in the biz as a, a mentalism show, but I I recently made an announcement that I am shelving indefinitely my hypnosis show because it's it's just it's not that you know I did have an adult show that should the client want to book my adult show it was pretty racy and they knew that what they were getting, but even when I perform the all ages show, I at the end of the day can't censor what comes out of the mouths of the people that I have on stage. But the buck stops with me in that situation. And we've gotten to this point. I, I used to do college shows, and college show, at one point, they wanted it as racy as possible. If you were doing a, a college show, they wanted, you know, a dirty show. And, and, and now they're about as woke as they come. Oh, you can't. I got, I'll tell you, I got, I, I was doing my mentalism show, a little over, a, when was it? Uh, just a little over a year ago, uh, last September, uh, for Queen's University. And it's a clean show. It's my mentalism, my mind-reading show. And uh, I essentially got the hook not even halfway into my show because, oh, I'll tell you, uh, I had used the word sex. And um, they were nervous that it was going to get worse. And 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 it wasn't it wasn't staff or faculty that pulled me off the stage. It was another student who was organize who was one of the the student organizers. That's and, why I said the colleges and universities are like the most woke places oh, it's, in it's, the world. It's crazy. And it's, these and this is the next generation. I don't I don't get it. And this has just happened within the span I would say of four or five years where we went from, 
getting booked to do as racy show as, as possible for a college, going back to that same college, and it better be as squeaky clean as possible. And I just, you know, that wasn't the only reason, but that was a big part of the reason. I just decided, you know what, I've had enough of the hypnosis show. I, I Again, um, and uh, listen, different strokes for different folks. Let people live how they want to live. But, you know, it happened multiple times where I addressed some, I, I or as they say it, I inadvertently misgendered somebody during my hypnosis show. And I, you know, I think I just felt like I, I'm, this is, I, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I, I, I can't do the hypnosis show uh, without being, without wondering whether or not somebody's going to call me on misgendering or whether somebody's going to be offended by something one of my volunteers says while they're under hypnosis. And, and, and we've just gotten so uptight and, uh, um, again, my, my views don't represent those of Quinny Broadcasting or anybody else other than myself. Full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen. But, but I think it, you know, we need to lighten up. And at the same time, I'm not about, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, why can't we just, <laughs> this sounds so trite, but can't we all just get along, you know? I'm really glad you brought up your, uh, your mentalism show because I wanted to, I wanted to move that direction, but, um, my segue was going to you know be like how do you being a, i mean you're a public figure mm. i mean whether you want to admit it or not i'm sure you you've already come to those terms but you're you're a public figure and you've got no option but to embrace that i would have to think but like you're the first person I've ever met that's been canceled, I guess. Now that I mean, maybe yourself canceling, or if, I, I I preempted my cancellation by canceling myself, or yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, you got the hook while you're on stage. But yeah. like, how how do you navigate those waters? Because you're a public person, right? I mean, you've got no option but to live. You know, what you do is your own business, but you ha- you have to you will have to self censor a little bit, right? You're not going to yeah, drop yeah. you're not going to drop any foul language on the radio because there right. could be kids in the backseat. Yeah. You might be in elevator, right? Yeah. Elevator music. You could be in a reception office or a reception a desk at a mechanic shop. Yeah. You know? So, but but what I'm wondering is before we get into your mentalism, of, yep. you know, like how do you, you know, though that's a you do have to do that. Um, I think I, I I'm not uh, I don't have a big potty mouth in the first place. Certainly not like I used to uh, when I was younger. I I've mellowed out quite a bit to be honest. Um. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny, Ty, I, I, um, I was just having this conversation with my wife yesterday, you know, um, so I don't know if you know about this, me, but I, I, I gotta mention it. So, because it plays a, a huge context into how I am today. So, um, six, just over six years ago, my 15 year old son was killed in a freak accident. Uh, a soccer net fell on him and, uh, and he was killed instantly. And I I have this memory from that night when we were at the hospital that has stuck with me and has kind of tempered uh, how I respond and react to almost everything. Because I used to be the kind of guy that would get wound up real easy. And, and I hate to say it, but I could, you know, one time fly off the handle real easily. And I remember that night thinking everything I thought that mattered, whether it was, you know overdue bills, uh, family uh, situation with a family member or whatever, uh, work stress, whatever. All of that, I thought, was at that point I realized was nothing. It didn't matter. Because all of that stuff has the potential to be 
rectified or, or altered or addressed or whatever, whether it takes some self-discipline or some budgeting or, or some negotiations or whatever, there's, there's a resolution for all of those issues. This, on the other hand, what I was facing that night, I couldn't do anything about. And it suddenly gave me this huge dose of perspective that now affects me in an unconscious way um, and I'm kind of self-analyzing because ever since then, nothing really ever gets to me. Not, I, I, don't get, I don't really get worked up about anything. And despite the chaos and the craziness that we have experienced since pretty much the beginning of the pandemic and how this world has gone topsy-turvy, it does, there's a lot of stuff that bothers me. Um, but I seem to just, I have this ability not to let it get to me. And whereas my wife really lets it get to her and some of my, my other family members and whatnot. And I said to her, you know, maybe I, there are moments where I feel like I should, I should be more worked up about this. I, this, is, this is an issue I should really, you know, be angry about. And I'm not. I'm... Maybe I am, but I'm, I'm not manifesting that anger. But I would, ra and I said to her, but I would rather, at the end of the day, live like I'm living now, even if it is to a fault, without really letting anything get to me. Because uh, I like, you know, I miss my son. That's the only thing I'd, I'd rather change. But other than that, I certainly like who I am so much more than who I used to be. That's unbelievable. Good for you. Um I was aware of that situation. Uh, I am aware of the work you're doing alongside your wife to make those soccer nets mm -hmm. more permanent. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I was, I wasn't going to bring that up only because I just met you an yeah. hour, an hour ago. Yeah. Uh, I can't even imagine what it's like to, yeah. to, to lose uh, anybody that close. That's like, so anyways, long story short, I, I wasn't going to bring that. Well, I don't up. mind. I don't, uh, if, if, if you want to discuss the cause that, that you're going through sure. to, to do that, we, we certainly can do that. We can do that now. If, sure. if you would prefer to skirt around it. We, no, we no, no. I, I don't mind talking about Garrett and, uh, and what, and Cause the, it's, the bill that we're, it, we're, we've brought forward. Um, it's something you don't even really think about, right? Because I played soccer as a kid and I played goalie yeah. and I've definitely dangled off the top yep. of and here's I mean, I, I've done it he never played soccer this is the thing though he wasn't playing soccer he was hanging out with he was so excited he was about to go on his first date ever so he was at they were just waiting he was with his best friend since kindergarten and his girlfriend and they were waiting for his buddy's girlfriend to show up and then they were going to go off to see a movie it was and i i had asked garrett the, the night before i said are you nervous about the big date and he says no i'm excited i said awesome and uh so so they were just hanging out at the park waiting for this other person to to, to catch up with them and um yeah like you said we i think we all have climbed on a, a, a you know a soccer net i know i did and when i was a kid and he just jumped up to do a, a chin-up and um, it wasn't anchored, and it, it it toppled, and um, the crossbar struck him in the head, and like I said, he was he was killed instantly. Um, that amazingly, that was the only net in all of Napanee that wasn't anchored that night. Uh, the father of our of his girlfriend that night, he took it upon himself to drive around and check all the other nets. All the other nets were anchored. But anyway, so. 
getting to the bill that you uh, you brought up that that we've been working on bringing forward i in the in the days weeks and months um after he passed certainly the the immediate days and weeks after that i i you know you're asking any as any parent would why 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 did this happen and you realize real quickly you're going to run up against a brick wall you're not going to get an answer so uh i thought I, no because nobody has an answer for that no and uh i thought well then what what can i do with this what can i do to keep this from being a complete tragedy a complete waste um and god forbid this ever happens again and i know about this risk so the first thing was to get the, the awareness out there. We did that by a lot of uh, just social media uh, um, and, and you know, I had the ability to obviously bring it forward on the air and whatnot and, and get the word out about this, this risk of these mobile soccer nets that they pose if they're not properly anchored. And uh, amazing, I got feedback from South Africa and Denmark and Texas and Australia so the word went out around the world. We had this little thing like, uh, you know, we're, we're commemorating Garrett, but also at the same time, it's, it's uh, a, a symbol to remind people to make sure the nets are anchored. That was to uh, wrap a checkered piece of duct tape around the left post of soccer nets. So that was done at places all over the world. Um, Sorry, is that like the universal signal to say that this net is good to go if you see the checkered tape on the left side? It, it, was, it wasn't. It's Some people have, have assumed that, um, but more so that it's a reminder, you know, and you would think that if anybody's wrapping tape around it, that it is indeed anchored. You know, we always said if it's not, then, then you know, address the people who administer those those soccer pitches and those and those nets. Um and then uh, the, the second step was uh, I, I approached a member of parliament who I had a, a connection to, and he drew up a bill, and his staff drew up a bill, and um, it's been a long haul because, uh, not to bore you with all the, the process. Behind, no, no, please do. Well, it, so the, the, the original bill was drawn up, and then it had to be shelved after a few months because there was an election, and all private member bills, if an election is called, basically get shelved, get scrapped. You start at square one again. So after the election, that particular MP, Todd Smith, uh, he became a cabinet minister. Uh, minister. Uh, and if you're a minister, you can't, um, you can't sponsor a private member's bill. So he passed the baton on to another MP, which was uh, uh, Stan Cho for Willowdale in Toronto. And so he sponsored it, and he carried it, and we got it through second reading. I was there at uh, Queen's Park along with my wife when that happened, and it passed unanimously, and we thought, here we go. Uh, and then a while later, uh, Parliament was prorogued, which meant, again, everything basically had to go back to square one. So uh, two, three, four years had gone by. Maybe not quite that. Maybe two or three years had gone by. I didn't know what was going on with the bill. And it was uh, maybe not quite a year ago. Uh, maybe it was, uh, I'm going to guess, eight, ten months ago, something like that. I approached my uh, um, MPP for um, uh, Lennox and Addington, uh, Rick Brzee. And he, he is also a recently bereaved father. So I knew he, not because of the same reason, but he, he uh, certainly had 
the respect for my drive behind this. So he picked it up, and he did a lot of work. Uh, there was rewriting of the bill that, that needed to be done and, and committees that he needed to meet with. And it, it, more than I ever thought that would have to go into, you know, making this bill passable. So it uh, once again, it passed second reading unanim- unanimously. And then about two months ago, I was invited to present to the committee that once a bill passes second reading, it goes to what they call committee. And the committee is a number of MPPs from from both sides who basically, you know, work to see if this is feasible. Um, I presented to committee, like I said, a couple months ago. And now we are at the point where any day now we are hoping to hear that it's ready to be passed. And if it's passed, it has Queen's assent, and it it legitimately becomes an actual law. It becomes a bill. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it's tricky, right? You know, I'm a fairly political person, I guess. But, you know, something that is so clearly a slam dunk, right? There's no reason why this can't be done. Yeah. Uh, internationally, which, which was a, which was a uh, sentiment that was brought up in in Queens Park. There, I can't remember who said it, but there was more than one MPP who said, "You know, can't believe this hasn't been done already. This should be." And I think they used the word, "This should be a slam dunk." But like, why? <clears throat> I mean, I under I don't understand the bureaucracy behind it. Like, so you you propose it, everyone says, "Yeah, this yeah. is a really good idea." Why can't like the minister of sport well, just just will it into existence? Say, okay, yeah. if you're a registered soccer club. In well, this country or province or whatever. Then there's the minutia, though. So if somebody is... You, but you see where I'm coming yeah, from. Oh, like, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. In my opinion, this is important stuff. It's important oh, to yeah, you. Absolutely. So therefore, it's important. To, it should be important to a lot of people. But why Why can't they just make so, that happen? So some of the things brought up in committee are, okay, so what is the penalty then? If somebody, you know, what what, what is the fine? Is it a fine? Uh, who's, who's going to administer that? Uh, all that little minutia type stuff just slows it up. But... But most of it is, you know, it's the proverbial dotting of I's, crossing T's and whatnot. Um, but we're getting there. And I, I'm, you know, it's been a long haul because of the, you know, the aforementioned situations. But um, I, I'm, I'm just grateful that we're, we're close to, you know, six years later, we're close to having this thing done. And I, I've said in previous interviews, you know, one of the upsides of having it stretched out this long is every time it's been uh, you know, brought up in Parliament, whether for second reading or whatever, or whether in committee or whatever, every single time. And yes, it gets old for me, but I will never say no to an interview opportunity to get the word out there of the risk. That's the bottom line. You can have laws in place, but if the awareness isn't, a law isn't going to keep a 15-year-old kid from jumping up on a soccer net. So more important than that is getting the awareness out there. So even though it's taken this long, I've counted it as, as a blessing because it's given me a platform to constantly remind people about this. And I've, I've had a huge platform with every major broadcaster you can imagine in Canada. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. So good for you. You're able to use your position to get something done. And if nothing else, you, you're able to honor your son in vain by doing something about it so nobody hopefully will ever have to go through that. I hope as, not. And as a parent myself, I can't even fathom it. I, you I, know, I couldn't even imagine what I can't, I just can't. I just it's, can't. It's, uh, you know, unfortunate. Uh, I, I hope, you know, I hope no one ever has to uh, uh, experience this again. But, you know, down in the States, at last count, 44 kids have been killed from falling soccer nets, hundreds more uh, 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 in wheelchairs, 
in Canada, Garrett was the fourth, and he is. There hasn't been another one in in six and a half, not quite six and a half years. Um, hopefully, it never happens again. But I I I got a lot of respect for what you said though. You you can't make it illegal. I mean, I guess, but it's it's more so the the prevention. So if kids yeah. do do that, because yeah. kids climb, kids jump, they yeah. run, they do cartwheels, they do yeah. silly things. You just you you can't you can't get a kid in trouble for doing that. Right. I, you just I, have to put the 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 provisions in place, yeah. the safety barriers, so it just doesn't happen. And I brought that up at committee. I uh, yeah, good at, for you, Queens Park. I said, you know, at the end of the day, you would like to think that anything, any kind of structure, whether it's a slide, a swing. Or a soccer net, anything that's at a you know a playground. There's a playground adjacent to King Street uh, uh, Park. Well, the playground is part of King Street Park, which is where Garrett passed. Uh, the soccer pitch is part of King Street Park. There shouldn't be anything in that park that poses that kind of a risk to anyone, let alone a child. Well, the swings are anchored. The slide is yeah. anchored. The teeter totters yeah. are anchored. The yeah. the gymnasium, the monkey bars, all yeah. those things are welded. They're anchored yeah. into the ground and they're secure and they're rated for you know uh, x amount of pounds. You know, I mean, the fact of the matter is that net was anchored at some point. Uh, where those, I can guess, but it's just a guess where those anchors went. My guess is field maintenance. You know, yeah, I was just going to say the guy or girl that did the lawn maintenance probably just didn't even occur to them that it was an oversight. They didn't get put back or whatever. Um, that that particular net, those nets had been on that field. I learned through the process of of uh, you know the experience we went through. Those soccer nets had been on there since on that field since 1999. They were beginning to rust. That that net in particular, not only not only was it not anchored, but the, the bases were coming apart because of rust. You could literally, it, that, that net was probably, I'm guessing, uh, I'm going to say six and a half to seven feet high. And uh, according to the coroner, the weight that would have been some of the whole net would be between two to 300 pounds. You could tip it over with your finger, literally. It was just that perfectly balanced where it's it was. At. It was in, with the disrepair of the with with the base being corroded away, and they're top heavy, even without even without the rusted and corroded base. Those those soccer nets in particular are top heavy by design. Now in that field, this was the kicker. This was the the punch in the gut. Was we learned uh, they had new soccer nets ready to install in that park. The Monday after that weekend, that accident happened on the Friday, and they had been those those soccer nets had been in that field since 1999. The new lightweight, short aluminum aluminum uh, nets were slated for uh, installation after that weekend. Uh, which, like I said, I mean that was a punch in the gut. But you know, you you um, you you can't you can't dwell on the what ifs. You can't, or it'll drive you nuts. That's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, good for you for 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 uh, trying to honor your son like that. Um, yeah. Uh, like I said, it's uh, you know, if we can keep it from happening again and take something that was horrible and, and get some good out of it, then then it's not a complete loss. Although I would trade everything in the world sure in a would. heartbeat to have him back. But um, um, yeah. So I want to be super respectful of your time, but uh, 
I'm interested it, to hear about your mentalism mm. and and your uh, hypnotics. Yeah. And if we have time, uh, I'm interested in hearing your story about you too. But you've probably told that a million times. Oh wow! So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we don't we don't have to we don't we don't have to do. No, that. that's fine. Whatever you want to hear, man. I'm good. Um, what do you want to? What do you want? What do you want? Yeah, no, I, I mean it's up to you. I mean you could use this as an opportunity to do some promoting so, to the sure. to the seventy five people that are going to listen. <laughs> okay. Um, but, well, if, but if you've told the YouTube story a million times, you definitely don't have. It, to. it was definitely the highlight of my career. Long story short, uh, very long story whittled down. I crazy circumstances. I ended up in an all night after concert party with you two and uh it was surreal it, um and uh you know for as much flack as as you two particularly bono gets i've met a lot of rock stars i've been really lucky i've met some of the biggest rock stars on the planet have you really oh yeah well what's the well finish uh, your story i'd be i'd okay. be interested to hear who you met but but uh, one of the most down to earth nicest guys i've ever met was bono I'm sitting there having a beer, doing a magic trick for him, and I had to remind myself I'm talking to like the biggest rock star in the world right now. <laughs> sure, yeah, he's and, huge. Yeah, and and he's just a regular guy. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a surreal experience. I remember I, I finally pulled myself. This was before we had cameras on our phones, so you know there was. I have no photographic evidence, but the people, you know, it, it got, there were people there that were were witnesses. And, they'll they'll vouch that this yeah, is a yeah, true yeah, story. Yeah. Oh, it made it into the papers. It was crazy. But um local man meets you too. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh so I knew uh, you know the party was still going strong at 4:30 in the morning and I had to, you know, another show starting at noon live from Commonwealth Stadium the very next day and I I had my buddy with me. I said I said to him, I said, "Brad, take a good look around because we got to go. You're you're never going to forget this this day, this night for the rest of your life. So soak it in, but we got to go." So we let we finally left at four thirty in the morning, and um, and I, I read the next day that party went right till six or something like that, and then they went to uh, the the hotel they were staying at and had breakfast around six in the morning or so. It was uh, it was a fun night, but yeah, uh, I've I've had the opportunity to meet, uh, uh, like I said, you two, Motley Crue, uh, Aerosmith multiple times, uh, Bon Jovi. Uh, Alice Cooper multiple times, um, Def Leppard multiple times. Uh, I, I there's so many I I can't think of all of them right so now. So is that a case because back back in the day when when a comedy act or or a band would come into town they would do press in that town and do yep. more and do morning radio. You know the lead yeah. singer would call in. You or know they'd... you know damn well he hasn't been to bed yet, but he'd call yeah. in to the morning show the morning show host would be like all right so you're playing at the air canada center in right. toronto tonight i wasn't go. most of those most of that time i hadn't even gotten to do mornings yet i was but uh i'd interview them on the afternoon show or sometimes even in the evening show a lot of it was uh you get uh, a lot back in the day i mean for years i never had to pay to go to a concert that was one of the the radio doesn't pay that well but we get free t-shirts and at one time free concert <laughs> tickets and uh i i don't think i had to pay for a concert ticket for probably 30 years. <laughs> well, I mean every job's got some sort of perk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh so I you know a lot of these t a lot of these times not only would you get a concert ticket but you'd get a backstage pass. Um Lindsey Buckingham, another great guy I met from uh, he, I was really impressed with from Fleetwood Mac. Um so you'd get these backstage passes uh whether to do press or whether just to do meet and greets and whatnot. 
Um, it was a great perk. Um, uh, after a while, um, maybe for me, I'm, I don't speak for others, but it, you know, the novelty wears off and now I, I don't really care. Um, not, not to take away f from these people, but I just, I don't really have any interest in going out of my way to, I don't have to meet a famous person anymore. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I mean, um, I've never necessarily met like super super famous people. I've met some hockey players and yeah. and you know shot the shit with uh, Larry Robinson and Bob Gainey yeah. once uh, years ago. Um, but after a couple three minutes, you just realize like they're just regular, they're regular dudes. people. Yeah, um, yeah, these these particular guys they were on a boat, they were on vacation, yeah. they were just enjoying the nice weather, and they they yeah. After a couple minutes, you realize like God, they all they wanted was directions to the pub yeah. so they can get an order of fries yeah. and a pitcher of beer. Like that's all they wanted. Yeah. Another nice guy was Brett Michaels from Poison. Um, I remember, I was really impressed. This was back in their heyday when they were, you know, really popular with uh, uh, their biggest hits and whatnot. And and uh, me and my uh, buddy of mine, we got into a backstage party uh, after the show in their dressing room, and it was pretty cool. They had, like, uh, these flashing lights in there, and they had these big uh, uh, coolers filled with with uh, beverages and whatnot, and, they ha and the room was full of all these gorgeous women that roadies had p pulled out of the audience. <laughs> And, you know, they're just flocking to the guys in the band. And Brett Michaels made a point, even though, you know, he could have, you know, chatted it up with any one of these really amazing women in the, in the room. He came over to me, extended his hand, introduced himself, shook my hand. And, and I thought, well, that was interesting. Like, he, he's a genuinely nice guy, which... Which uh, you know, some of these some of these guys, a lot of people jump to conclusions about rock stars and whatnot, and and some of them maybe there's a reason for it. But a lot of these guys, like you say, they're just regular guys that have a, a, um, a really cool job, and they're famous. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that. You you know, you went in there and there's beautiful women and beverages, and all I could think of was yeah, and lines of blow everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't on, be so stereotypical. To no, say that. I, honestly, I've never. You know what? I've seen. You know, I used to do a lot of live uh, uh, when I worked in the larger markets like Edmonton and Winnipeg and whatnot. Um, I used to get uh, some extra work on the side um, as my. You know, I'd be booked as you know, Mister Radio Guy to come in and push drink specials and host contests on the dance floor and stuff like that. And it was great. I got a, a good mitful of cash at the end of the night under the table. Um, those were the places where I'd see the drugs. I never saw a single drug backstage at a concert, ever. I remember, as a matter of fact, the night of U2, the, the guy that got me into the show was uh, from the, the opening act from Fun Loving Criminals. Um, I remember that band. Yeah, and um, I did uh, an interview with them earlier that afternoon, and they were really grateful that I showed some interest because they said we couldn't get anybody else in this city to do any media with us. You're the only media that, that did some press with us. And uh, there's a party tonight if you want to come to it, basically, is, is how I got into that. So they invited me first to join them for a beer in their dressing room after the show. So I said to my buddy, we, we went to the concert, and I said, you know, the Fun Loving Criminals finished their set. And I said, I don't know if by after the show he meant after they were done or after the whole show, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head down and see if I can, uh, you know, get backstage. I'll meet you after the, uh, the intermission. So they had given me, at the end of that interview, they gave me this all-access pass to stick on my pants, and they said, yeah, that'll get you wherever you need to go. I said, great. So I get down to the barricades, and I asked security. I explained I was invited to you know, uh, 
go for a beer with blah, blah, blah. And the guy just said, you, you can go wherever you want. You don't have to talk to me, which was amazing. So I'm walking unescorted behind this massive stage at Commonwealth Stadium. It looked like I, 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 I described it as uh, the preparations for a shuttle launch is what it looked like with all the cabling and this massive. It was the Pop Mart tour and they had that big, huge uh, arch with the, the lemon and everything. <laughs> And uh, I found my way to the the dressing room for the fun-loving criminals. And uh, I had a couple of beer with them. And then they said, we want to go see the begin- beginning of the show, but if you want to chill back here, that's fine. I said, well, I'll just finish my beer. And then I asked their road manager, who was still in the dressing room, would it be okay if I used the washroom i didn't want to have to get in a line and go with you know with the little people no you're going to use that pass to the full extent right you're going to drink those beers and use that bathroom exactly so so anyway the line i remember from the road manager was yeah that yeah sure but no shooting up and it just he said it so matter of factly he wasn't kidding around like i said i've never seen drugs backstage at a concert but obviously uh you know, it was prevalent enough so that this guy felt he needed to give me a heads up. Um, it's, it's interesting you say that. Um, I'm a big Eric Clapton fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure he runs a pretty sober tour. Oh, yeah. And and, yeah. and if you if you partake in anything, I think he's even, you know, fairly anti-cannabis, uh, but... Um, yeah, if you're if you open for him or you in the band, you're either really sneaky about it yeah. or you just play by his rules of, yeah. of sobriety. Right? He does. He does. He's he's been sober from heroin and, and alcohol for a long time now. But I think if I'm not mistaken, it's pretty well known. Like just you're sober. If you yeah. if you choose to associate with yeah. Eric Clapton, that's just the, that's there, your disclaimer. You know, I remember the first time I met Aerosmith, uh, they were recently cleaned up and it was before we were brought backstage, it was made very clear that you can't bring alcohol back there. There's no drugs. As a matter of fact, the unofficial name for the tour is the Cookies and Milk Tour. Um, There was heavy-duty awareness about that on that. Well, they were the Toxic Twins, right? Like, holy crap, how much much heroin did they do and how much, you know, boozing up, right? I remember a great story from Steven Tyler. He said uh, back in the heyday of his, his drug days, he was, he was talking about how he had been to this all-night party at someone's house and did so much blow and whatever and who knows what else. And um, the next morning, he passed out at some point, and the next morning, he calls a cab, and he goes out to get into the cab, and he gives the cab driver the address of where he needs to go. And the cab driver points out, well, that's where you are. <laughs> it was his house. <laughs> <laughs> almost like one of those uh return to this address right if yeah, lost, yeah, just yeah return yeah. return to here exactly but yeah um i remember another tour where they were really uh uh motley crew had recently got cleaned up at that time on the dr feelgood tour it was a sober tour and um uh, i i got to MC that show and and um meet them backstage and and uh it was again emphasized to me by management that you know no drugs no booze backstage so and nothing about that's really unrealistic, right? No, just no. If, if somebody asks you, Buzz, please don't do this. Just I guess don't yeah. do it. And if you have to do it, then that's not the spot for you. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, it's their workplace. That's not to say that many a rock star has has worked, you know, narcotics and alcohol into their workspace. But but yeah, the, there's these bands who have uh, you know come to that point where we 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 got to cut it out or, or our career's done. It's funny you say that. Um, I'm not a country music fan, but uh, so we were at the Havelock Jamboree years ago. Actually, I played there uh, a couple times, but that's a shameless plug. 
Um, that, but this particular year, um, Toby Keith was there. He was the big, uh, yep. the big draw, and he was so fucking drunk it wasn't even funny. Oh, really? He was crooked drunk, and I'm not a fan necessarily. Yeah. But it's Saturday night, you know. The music's going. It's loud. There's women yeah. everywhere. There's people partying. We were partying, right? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, that's what we were kind of there to do on the Saturday night. But he was so drunk, it was like, I don't even know. Like, I guess his band maybe is used to it, yeah. or or maybe it was because it was more of like a redneck. Like, it wasn't like a stadium show. Well, it was it was in a field at a at a music festival. Maybe he kind of thought he was fitting in, but it was it was crazy how drunk he was. I uh, I and I can't like I, actually distracting how drunk he was. I can't speak specifically for Toby Keith, but you know he's a big name, and and a lot of times it's like these people are surrounded by yes people. And you know, yeah, even if you're trying to be sober, and what, somebody's like, "Give me a drink," I'm like, "Sure, yeah." I mean, he's paying you, me exactly. What, do you want to keep working for him, right? Unfortunately, that you know, it just further enables the the problem. Um, I was going to say something about someone else, I completely forgot. But but yeah, when when you're surrounded by yes people and you get to that level of success, uh, oh, I remember the the one guy. I the one of the first you know so-called you know famous rock stars I met it was he was opening for a Cheap Trick, um, this was back around 1988, and uh, Eddie Money I remember was he was drunk, red eyes, the whole nine yards, still managed to put on a decent show, but I remember when I met him, uh, you could smell the booze on him from like ten feet away. He, you know, he, fortunately before, you know, he, he's gone now. He, he did get cleaned up, which was good. Um, the, the only other noticeably drunk person I met wasn't from backstage. It was from my concert seat was the second time I saw Van Halen. Uh, Eddie Van Halen was just pissed and really. Eh? Oh yeah. And you could see what he had gotten so gaunt he, you know, he he looked just like a a, a skeleton almost. And, I mean, still an amazing talent. But I remember he got into this guitar solo, and he we you know you know impressing us with everything that is Eddie Van Halen on guitar. And then oh you know we think oh he's here it is he's it's going into hot for teacher. Oh no 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 okay now no he's gonna play something else. Oh it's gonna be this went on for like twenty minutes. Sammy Hagar just finally walked off the stage. He eventually just sick and tired of the shit. Oh yeah, um, I I know that tour had many problems because of of Eddie's drinking. Thank God he did clean up after that, and he 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 got healthy before. Unfortunately, you know the cancer got to him. He he was able to finally you know put the bottle away. But uh, yeah, that was noticeable. See, it's interesting. <laughs> I find it interesting, right? You can tell by the rumor sitting in the studio. I do have a few guitars, and there's even a couple yeah. more that you don't even see. Um, and and I've been pretty open about my, yeah. Sometimes I don't know how to slow it down, um, but I can't play guitar drunk. No, I can't. I don't know if you're musical or not, but like after you know whatever, once you're halfway there, I I don't even attempt it. Like my fingers are sloppy. So I you have sound like shit. You, you you know you think you you think you're Eddie Van oh, Halen. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But in all honesty, I mean we're sitting here recording. I can go show you some of the recording. I'm like oh no 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 no. Sorry Ty, you, you know you should have put that down long before maybe you know smartened up. So this this allows us to segue into. Uh, the, how I got into hypnosis. Because yeah, excellent. I was going to ask you about that, but I'm just having so yeah, much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
I'll back the clip up a little bit in a second, but talking about the alcohol. So my, f- f- and I'll tell you how, but my first ever shows in hypnosis were on the Las Vegas Strip at Planet Hollywood, which is unheard of. I mean, very few people ever get that opportunity to perform in Las Vegas, let alone on the Strip, let alone their first shows ever. But anyway, I remember that afternoon before hitting the stage, I was filling in for a friend, a good friend of mine. Um, he had since become my mentor in all things hypnosis, and it was his regular gig, and he needed someone to fill in for a week. So anyway, earlier that afternoon, uh, one of his staff and I, we were out hitting the strip doing some, uh, some you know, last-minute marketing. We hit the, the, some of the ticket kiosks and whatnot and shook some hands and st- stuff like that, and... And it was amazingly hot. <laughs> and we came back into um, Planet Hollywood and found a, a, a little microbrewery, uh, Sin City Brewery. And we each had a pint of nice cold beer. We might have had two. But it was still only like, it was like 3 o'clock or so in the afternoon. The show doesn't start till 10.30. thought, that's fine. I'll have a couple of nice pints and, and uh, relax. When I, and I didn't, I, you know, by, by the time it was, you know, 10, 10 30, I thought, uh, you know, I certainly don't feel the effects of that anymore. I might've even had a nap beforehand. As soon as it, rec- my brain was required to focus and pay attention, I could feel the impairment still. It wasn't something I would have sensed otherwise, but I needed my brain so badly in that moment for everything, stage management, volunteer, man- managing my volunteers remembering my cues because I'm filling in for somebody else's show. So there's certain cues that are verbal that the lighting guys are listening for, the camera guys are listening for and whatnot. So there's a lot that my little noggin has to be aware of. And all of a sudden I can, it's not, you know, it didn't ruin the show, but I could sense that impairment. And I, right from there, I, I, I imposed this to this day, a policy I have where I will not have a beverage before I do one of my live shows. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's been a worthwhile policy. But no, I, so getting back to why I got into hypnosis in the first place, it usually is what everybody asks me. Um, I, Sorry, it's taken me like an hour no, and 20 minutes. No, no, to no, ask no, it. no, that's all right. <laughs> I've often thought I need to do up a brochure or a pamphlet that I can just hand out because that's what everybody, how, how did you get into mentalism? How did you get into hypnosis? So it's kind of an interesting story. I, I started out in magic, and I was a late bloomer. I was in my mid-20s. I was working in Edmonton on air, and uh, our general manager poked his head into the music library where I was busy scripting the, uh, the countdown that I scripted each week, and he asked me if I could take a call. He says, I've got this guy, and our, our general manager was kind of an old codger at the time. He wasn't aware of a lot of these popular band names at the time. He says... There's a guy, he says he's from a band called Great White, um, talking about doing an interview. Could, could I put him through to you? I said, sure. So I don't know if you remember Great White. They had a... They had a kind no, it of, doesn't ring a bell. Kind of a one-hit wonder with a song called Once Bit and Twice Shy, right around 1990, 91, somewhere in there, L.A. Band, hair band. And um, anyway, guy says, yeah, it's Mike Laherty. I, I'm a keyboardist for uh, Great White. He says, I'm in Edmonton for non-band business. I'm actually here for a cousin's wedding, but I thought while I'm here, I got time to kill, do a little PR. Do you want me to come down and do some interview? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'm doing uh, a live broadcast tonight at a rock bar. 
be really cool if you could come down to the bar and uh, spend some time down there and we'll, you know, face to face and shake a few hands and sign a few autographs and whatnot. And, and uh, we could do some banter then. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. So he, sure enough, he showed up in a stretch limo with his cousin. And, and uh, it was like a Wednesday night. So the bar was like half empty and, and um, pretty quiet. But uh, uh, he, out of the blue, at some point in, in the evening, he takes a dollar bill out of his pocket and snaps it in front of my eyes and then crumples it up and puts it in his hand and makes it disappear. And... Right in front of my face. And I thought, how did you do that? And he wouldn't tell me. Would not tell me. And so a couple of weeks later, I come across a magic shop at West Edmonton Mall. I said, listen, I saw this guy make a, he, he crumpled up a dollar, stuffed it in his hand. Next thing you know, it's gone. It disappeared. I said, how much do I got to pay to learn how to do that trick? $15. And he immediately, the guy on the other side of the counter immediately made my $15 disappear. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked, and, and and part of it was, you know, I was my my guinea pigs were the people I worked with at the radio station. So the reactions I was getting out of out of the people I was doing this trick for, it was like, like I, I said earlier, you know, uh, there's there's nothing that 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 beats uh, uh, having somebody appreciate. You, what you're doing as a performer, whether that's in the form of applause or, or, or amazement or whatever. So I just got hooked on magic and, and I was learning one trick after another. And our morning show was a very popular morning show there in, in um, Edmonton. And they'd always be talking about the latest way that I fooled them. And the next thing you know, I'm getting memos in my inbox, literally, and we didn't have email back in those days. My inbox at the front desk was getting filled with um, messages from people calling into the station, wondering if I would perform for this and perform for that, a boardroom show here, a birthday party there. And it's like, like they want to pay me? Okay. So I put a little show together. That absolutely sucked, but that was, that was my beginnings. And, and uh, so I fell bass-ackwards into becoming you know, a, a performing magician. And the show grew from that and uh, became a bigger stage show. And I started, I st- you know, I did some escapes and I was doing levitating women and uh, I was doing fire eating and whatnot. And, and then eventually um, I just, I just kind of got bored with it a little bit. Uh, so when I moved from Edmonton to take an opportunity in Winnipeg, it wasn't that I quit magic altogether, but I just stopped marketing it. I wasn't going out to do shows but i would you know i i would do charity events and fundraisers and media talent shows and things like that um but like i said i really wasn't doing much with it like i had been doing in uh, edmonton i was in uh, winnipeg for six years then went to uh i was invited to to do um, afternoons in calgary and again really not performing professionally like i had in the past wasn't in Calgary too long when uh, I was at Chorus Calgary and they invited me to Kingston for an opportunity to do mornings, which is how I wound up in Kingston. And um, it was at that time, maybe six to eight months after I got to Kingston, I kind of realized that maybe I shouldn't have taken this opportunity. Um, unfortunately, it was, it was a bit of a shit show. It was a toxic work environment. Um, 
I was not happy. And I felt like I had made a horrible mistake. So I got on the phone with my buddy who, who was, I had originally met in Edmonton. Uh, he was a big fan of, of my show, my radio show in, in Edmonton. And that's how we hit it off. Um, and, and he was a big magic buff as well. Um, but anyway, at this point, he had recently started his, his magic, sh- or rather his hypnosis show in um, uh, Vegas. And the funny thing, just to back it up a little bit, when he and another fella, who I'm still friends with to this day, they both invited me to learn hypnosis with them. They had rented some videos on you know VHS <laughs> and some books, and they were going to teach themselves how to do hypnosis. And they asked me if I wanted to learn hypnosis with them. And at that time, I just laughed at them. I said, no, I'm good. That's fine. Uh, at that point, magic was like a hobby for me. I wasn't even really performing professionally. I, I said, no, you know, you, what are you going to be, the next Ravine? I don't know if you remember Ravine or not. but yeah. um, So I kind of laughed it off. Well, these guys uh, taught themselves hypnosis, and within a short amount of time, they're performing uh, throughout Edmonton and, and throughout Alberta and making gobs of money. So much so that Mark, my buddy who eventually wound up in Vegas several years later, quit. Uh, he dropped out of pre-med, and the other guy, Wayne Lee, quit his high school teaching job. All in the pursuit of this. Yeah. and They must have really felt they had lightning in a bottle, eh? They did. I, I won't, it's, it's not for me to say. I do know. This, now we're talking mid-90s. I know how much money they were making at that time, and it was crazy amount of money. Anyway, um, I was still, I still, that was still not enough to interest me into getting into hypnosis. I was very focused. I was very, very big on my radio career. Um, and, uh, but, but when I got to Kingston, it was like, what am I going to do? I've made this horrible mistake with my broadcasting career. At least that's what I felt at the time. So I got on the phone with my buddy, Mark, who now is performing in Vegas. I said, Mark, you got to teach me hypnosis. I'm going to be a hypnotist. I'm going to get out of radio and I'm going to be a full-time professional stage hypnotist. And so he began teaching me uh, in the evenings over the phone, uh, dictating notes to me, recommending videos for me to watch, sending me videos to watch. And then he, I was a part of his first, he, he started an accredited course in Vegas, both for hypnotherapy and, and for stage hypnosis. He had since become accredited himself with the National Guild of Hypnotists. Um and had become a very world-renowned hypnotist in his own right, uh, very respected, uh, as a matter of fact. So um, I was a part of his first-ever class. I went down to Vegas. I took um, hypnotherapy training. I took 50 hours of hypnotherapy training, and then I took uh, a week-long course in stage hypnosis training. And it was a month after that I got back to, to Ontario and he rings me up and he says, hey, do you want to come back to Vegas and fill in for a week? And I, I said, Mark, I said, I haven't even done any, I haven't done any shows yet. He says, oh, I know. He says, but he says, he says, uh, I think you're ready. I said, you could get anybody. You literally could get anybody in the world. Especially that, in Las Vegas, yeah, right? I would, mean, you would think they would be. They would jump at the chance be everywhere. To for sure. He says, here's the thing. And he, and, he, and he was absolutely right. Anybody can learn hypnosis. He says, I need somebody who knows how to perform. I need somebody who knows how to ad-lib and think on the spot. He says, you've been doing radio for however many years. You've had to do that on a daily basis. That's what I need, more, more so than somebody who knows hypnosis. 
So I, I would have been crazy to turn it down. I was scared as shit. But I thought I'd be nuts to turn down this opportunity. And nobody knows you there, right? So if you fell no. on your face, it's not right. like it's not like right. you're doing it in your hometown, well, right? Well, on top of that, nobody knows that these are my first shows. Well, right? we do now, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if if you just go up there and own it, exactly. So so I did. Uh, it was a run of five shows that week, and I remember after the fifth show, this guy comes up to me at the end of the show, and. Uh, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm the stage tech for the V Theater, which is a, a larger venue within the Planet Hollywood Resort. He says, I've seen hundreds of hypnotists. And I thought he was going to say something like, you suck. But he says, I've seen hundreds of hypnotists. You are easily one of the best. I thought, little does he know, that was my fifth ever show. I use that, that quote from him is still on the homepage of my website. Easily one of the best. Um... And so, uh, you know, that was that little shot of confidence was was went a long way. And 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 having done Vegas opened so many doors for me. Having that on my resume allowed me to get, you know, so many other gigs after that throughout North America. And um, and I've been back to Vegas uh, two other times for week longer, week long runs, uh, filling in for Market Planet Hollywood and in bigger and bigger venues there. And, um, you know, just unforgettable. And, and I'll never forget those experiences. And it's a shame that you let the wokesters cancel you for it. Uh, I don't want to blame it all on them. A big part of it, too. A big part of it is I got to the point where I've kind of seen everything when it comes to the hypnosis stage. And I, I was catching myself having to f- force my amusement and my laughter to make it look like I was legitimately being entertained by these silly people I've hypnotized as well. Well, I mean, if you do the same thing over and over and over again, I mean, it's just, it's old right. news to you. It's, it, it, it would be tough to feign interest and keep it, it exciting, it, it, right? It is challenging and you become an actor and I, I never, whether it's radio or whether it's on the live stage, I, I never want my listeners or my, my audience to ever think that I am not being a hundred percent authentic and genuine, and I felt that my my I was losing that in my hypnosis show because I was just to, to be honest, I was getting bored. I was getting bored with it, and and you know, yes, the audience loves a hypnosis show. They love seeing their family members and loved ones and work colleagues or whatever up on stage hypnotized, doing crazy stuff and, and acting like a jackass and whatnot. But they're la- the audience is laughing and applauding them, and. Maybe it's a bit of ego. I, when I'm on a live stage, I'd like to think I'm earning some of that audience reaction. You should. You're deserving of it. And, and so I was getting that with my mentalism show. And I'll tell you what's, for me, I've, I've, I've shared this with others before, what, what's even better than an applause. Because at the end of the day, an applause is something that's kind of obligatory. People will applause because it's what you're supposed to do when somebody does something impressive. But what is even better than that is when on the when from the stage I can hear a corporate <gasps> when I hear that coming from the audience that isn't obligatory that's a, that's a a, a a reflex that's a well a, that's me in the here in the now being amazed by yeah. something you've been able to do you've been able to curate your yeah. your skills to the point that you're so confident in what you're doing you did it 
and I'm in disbelief that you were able to pull that off it, in front of just, me with pe- no strings attached. It, it, it gives people that momentary sense of wonder to the point where they're, they gasp. And I love that. And I, I just thought, you know, here I am not having so much fun doing the hypnosis anymore. In contrast with having a blast doing the mentalism, why am I still doing the hypnosis? And the thing about me is I'll, I'll do stuff as long as I'm having fun. When it's not fun anymore, I don't do it. And um, so, you know, I never say never. Uh, when I say the hypnosis show is retired, you know, I say it's retired indefinitely, which means it doesn't necessarily mean forever. If the right opportunity or the right situation comes along, I'll, I'll certainly consider it. But for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, I'm going 100% with the mentalism as far as my live show goes now. That said, here's the shameless plug. Uh, Please. S- Saturday, October 21st, I will be on stage at the Empire Theater um, doing a, a uh, 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 what do you call it? We're, we're sharing the, the bill. Uh, myself, doubleheader or whatever, myself and um, uh, Danny Z out of, uh, I believe he's out of St. Catharines. He's amazing. He's a magician. He's also an escape artist. Um, he does, uh, he's done America's Got Talent, uh, France has got talent, I think Australia's got talent, Canada's got talent, just about every got talent show there is. So he's going to so be- he's got talent. Yeah, yeah. So he'll be on stage and uh, I'll be doing my thing. Tickets are at the uh, theempiretheater.com and if you uh, use the insider code BUZZ, that's BUZZ with a capital B, save yourself 10% on uh, the cost of a ticket. So that's outstanding. I will see to it personally that this comes out before then. If you and, can. And all and all 75 <laughs> people that listen yeah. will hear that. 75 people. That's about. That's got to be like a couple dozen more than we have listening to the morning show. Oh, don't be like that. <laughs> I stream their morning show, so I don't know if that counts for ratings or not. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I have a lot of fun with the mental. And the mentalism came along, to be honest. Uh, I was doing nothing but the hypnosis at one time. And then... Uh, I found that there was certain challenges inherent with smaller clients, for example, a smaller audience. So for for any given size audience, when it comes to a hypnosis show, and there's certainly exceptions to the rule, whether you're doing a high school or a Vegas show or a corporate show or whatever, but on average, um, you get about 20% of that audience willing to volunteer with some arm twisting or whatever. And out of that, 20% that you get on the stage you'll get 25 to 30% of those to respond well enough to the hypnosis to be able to keep them in the show. So obviously you can see if you've got a smaller audience of say 30 people, you run the risk of having nobody in your show. So I asked my buddy down in Vegas, my mentor, Mark, I said, what do you do about those smaller clients? He says, I don't take them. I said, oh. Big show or nothing. Yeah, exactly. He says, I won't take, he says, unless they can assure me they'll have at least 100 people in the audience, I don't take them. I said, oh, okay. So I continued to get these requests uh, from smaller clients, along with the the larger ones, but I hated turning down this potential business. And I thought, well, I've got this warehouse of magic effects from over the years. Why don't I gleam from that a mentalism show? Because to the layperson, there seems to be kind of a nexus between hypnosis and and mentalism, this power of suggestion that works with it. So I thought, you know, I could kind of brand it all under one roof. 
And it worked well. It worked great. But what ended up happening was I found I actually enjoyed the mentalism more so than the than the hypnosis. And and it's grown to the point where I do you know mentalism shows for audiences that uh, are just as big as as the the hypnosis shows. Whereas, and you're doing that on the 21st of October. 21st of October. Yeah. One of uh, uh, there's another show. Actually, there's a show uh, closer to here coming up, and it's a fundraiser that I'm doing for the Children's Foundation on October 28th in Brighton. Um, I don't know what the t- ticket information is for that, but uh, you could probably Google it, Children's Foundation, October 28th, Brighton, and uh, find out more that way. So I'm going to find this stuff and put it in the show notes, and if anybody wants to come, we'll send them out that way. Sure. Perfect. Buzz, you've been an absolute riot. Oh, gosh. Well, thank this you. has been unbelievable. Thank I you. have had an enormous amount of fun talking to you. Oh, you thank were you. a very interesting guy. Um, hopefully, the door is open to come back again someday. Sure. And yeah, maybe yeah. we can use some of your networking to drive some listeners to the Tie That Binds <laughs> podcast. But right. that's not the point. That's not why you're here. I Anytime, prom- I promise I'm not piggybacking off of you. No, I, I piggyback <laughs> away. I don't care. No, no, I can't do it. Um, yeah. The 21st of October in uh, Empire Theater. Yep. Um, yeah, let's wrap this up. All right. Uh, before we go, Apple or, Apple or Android? Android. Thank you. Me as well. <laughs> All right. Good to talk, Buzz. Nice to meet you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks. Let's do it again. For sure. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. Um, a real thanks goes out to Buzz for making the trip out here to come on the show. And uh, as always... Uh, your questions, comments, your guest suggestions, please send them to the tie that binds pod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I can't wait for the next episode. Uh, and uh, stay tuned. Please uh, give this an episode to share to somebody that might uh, might like this. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we'll see you again next time. <laughs>